welcome to Jurassic Mysteries, where we take a look at myths, conceptions, and maybe even unknown facts about the Jurassic franchise. I'm Brad. I'm Dave. And here we are after this long time, uh, heading all the way back to 1994, and one of the first drafts or manuscripts of Michael Crichton's The Lost World. David, this sort of appeared, uh, I think Adventure Collectibles was able to purchase the manuscript for Michael Crichton's original Lost World off an auction or something, and, and a lot of people have been uh, diving and going over some of the stuff he's been posting on Twitter and that. Yeah, Twitter and Instagram. The, apparently, though, the story behind it is that he had originally bought a bought a copy that was, like, I guess it was supposed to be a manuscript of some sort, and it was, I, he got it, like, really cheap because, according to him, the person who originally had it didn't know what they were actually had. They didn't realize it was an, it wasn't just an unpublished manuscript. It was a previous edit. Hmm. Well, the fact it doesn't say Jurassic Park anywhere on it, <laughs> um, <laughs> he might have just thought it was someone, some sort of write on the uh, the original um, Arthur Conan Doyle Lost World. Yeah, true. And Adventure Collectibles has always been kind of very um, active in the collect in the. Uh, replica collecting scene. He's his, I believe, his screen name on the replica platform is Rymo, and he produces what is purported to be one of the best, if not the best, um, replica cryo can on the market that's not licensed. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's just interesting. We've we're still getting these little things coming in about the original film. Uh, Books are rewritten all the time, but for this sort of stuff to come out into the public eye uh, so so long after the original novel's uh, printing, I know there's been a lot of speculation that uh, Crichton may have had some sort of manuscript for a, a part three as well. What that what that is, or if that even exists, <laughs> that's a whole different different conversation. But uh, yeah, there's been some uh, stuff coming out. Um, Jack Ford and Kelly's age being changed. Dean and Sarah talk more about the baby. T-Rex when it's being x-rayed in the uh, in mm-hmm. the novel as well, but I think the biggest thing here that uh, happened was the uh, cutting of Dr. Elliot Wu, brother and supporter of the late Henry Wu, as uh, revealed to be a caretaker of Isla Sauna. Yeah. Like you said, the edits on this thing vary from small things like uh, mere line changes, rear ranges, or even age changes. But this is an entirely new thing. This is apparently Elliot Wu, as you said, um, Henry Wu's brother, was tasked with overseeing Isla Sorna while Wu was kind of the main guy on Isla Nublar. Mm. And so this Elliot Wu character remains on Sorna. He, he kind of almost comes like a Robinson Crusoe sort of character. He, instead of being involuntarily cast away on, on the island, he stays on the island as the only caretaker of the of the entire island itself, which in the final novel explains a lot of things like why the place still has power and why we see just like general stuff that's little little weird things that, that, that never quite get wrapped up tidily in the final novel, which are more uh, that are more fleshed out here in this within with the addition of this character Elliot Wu. Yeah, we'll get to some uh, some of the scenes and that that he um, had a hand in. I 
I know I've, I've seen a lot of people discussing the power the power thing like when Eddie's uh, looking at that geothermal plant his um, his reaction to it's more just the the ability to have such a um, power plant in such a confined or um, compact unit and the um, it's still running is more of the uh, the creativity and longevity of the technology um, not so much that someone's been maintaining it mm-hmm. I think just because of the fact that a lot of the, the gauges are uh, molded over and destroyed and that sort of thing when it comes to that anyway we do have scenes later with the uh, worker village with some buildings being upkept and others not and where you can clearly see that it, Elliot's been working on stuff but yeah I think wasn't it the manager's house still mm. had a manicured garden for yeah. example yep and obviously if he's there by himself on the island he'd have to have some sort of vegetable patch or something <laughs> um, yeah but we'll get to that later. Uh, in the uh, the last chapter, titled Caretaker, which we'll get to in a minute, Elliot Wu, Elliot Wu reveals that Henry was a real genius, but uh, Elliot merely helped. So um, he'd still have to be a, a pretty skilled uh, geneticist mm-hmm. or something to be doing what he's doing here on the island. Elliot couldn't let Henry's wonderful work die. And then there was the challenge, which Malcolm rephrases as contamination, uh, that DX virus that we'll get to in a little bit as well. But going and having a look at the novel itself, um, we know from the original novel there were some bits uh, included in the novel that sort of, as you said before, were a bit, head, bit of head scratches. Our first hint here, and I'll, I'll post all these photos up in the uh, in the group so you can see what we're talking about as we go with the uh, pages, but um, our first hint to Elliot Wu in the novel was something that remained uh, in the first publication when Malcolm Jack Fawn and the kids go to Richard Levine's office to uh, determine which island he goes to. Uh, there's that large corkboard there with uh, all the maps, charts, Landstat images, all that sort of stuff pinned to it, um, mm-hmm. and that big, big sign saying Site B, and alongside that being a blurred, curled snapshot of a perspectral Chinese man in a white lab coat standing in the jungle beside a wooden sign that read Site B, the, site, the lab coat being open in the middle, covering letters, of something on his T-shirt and the blown-up image uh, InGen Site B research facility, which we I think fans always assume that was Wu. Uh, yeah. On sauna. And I know I definitely always assume that it was Wu, even though I don't think in the first novel did Wu have glasses on. I can't remember if he did. I can't. I kind of only really imagine the movie the actors as the respective characters when I read the novel. You know? Yeah. I, I think where Wu was at the time, even if uh, if he required glasses, I could see him having contacts just to um, alleviate the need of having having to mess around with glasses or something. But mm-hmm. That would be something interesting to go back and have a look at. <laughs> it would and I, even then, I think that if that detail would have ever kind of presented itself as a flag to me, I know that just personally from experience, I would never have any reason to think there would be a, another Wu character. So I'd probably have written off, oh, he's just got reading glasses or something, you know? Mm. Yeah, there's also an email here that's retrieved by Arby that... Um... It's got the EWU in the CC box um, of one of the emails, but or, or you assume it would have, but in the novel it must have been changed to HWU just to show that Henry was working on Sauna and not Elliot. 
I just tried to go to the uh, <laughs> Jurassic Park novel on my iPad, but <laughs> couldn't couldn't get there. Um, yeah, so that that's one thing that was left in the uh, in the novel. One thing that sort of was removed uh, early on as well, image two, which is uh, would have taken place around page one hundred in the novel, uh, which is the chapter ex- exploitation. That's where Lewis Dogson's talking to the head of Biosyn about getting funding to pillage in Gen Site B. Uh, we get a mention of Nedry, or paying Nedry 750000 and nothing to show for it. And then a little cut um, paragraph here. A few years later, we paid 200000 to that InGen researcher, Elliot Wu. And again, we have nothing to show for it. The guy took the money and disappeared. <laughs> so he's had money to fund all the stuff he's doing on Sauna by ripping off Biosyn. <laughs> which is even funnier because it shows that Nedry wasn't the only person that um, Biosyn tried to turn into a mole at Engine, you know? Hmm. Yeah, you got to wonder too, they'd probably been reaching out to more than just Nedry, probably reaching out to several staff to pay off and yeah, having someone into genetics side of things as well would have been a lot bigger carrot for Biosyn than uh, Nedry just being on the island for that time, but mm-hmm. yeah, still I find it funny. <laughs> um, moving on to uh, page one seventeen in the novel, in the chapter Site B, as the team discover the worker village, they see workers' colleges, cottages covered in vines and half taken over by jungle. Um, in the early manuscript, there is also a two-story uh, manager's residence that didn't look as overgrown as the other buildings, and we later find that's where Elliot Wu is living. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember parts of this passage making it into the actual novel itself. Like, for example, I remember that, and this would have been edited in the final area where this, um, I think that in the final novel, this the description is changed to where there's leaves and debris all over, the carpet's covered in mold, and the desk is uh, all, all covered in dust, and everything's laying on the side and stuff like that. But... Like for example, there but the push the the um, line about there being push pins of various colors on the map was is still there, and this in general is just a large section of the entire thing that had been altered in the finals in the final pr- uh, publishing of the of the novel. So it's interesting because it just goes into the full description of this area. I think it was the conference room that was in the in the novel. And it just has like all kinds of um, ways, or I mean, it just has all kinds of signs that somebody's obviously been living here, like a book about how, the vegetarian way of life. So obviously, we know Elliot Wu has been growing a garden here on the island. Mm. Yep. Yeah, well, you're uh, you're referring here to the next bit, which is images three, well, image three and four, um, uh, the chapter interior, page one twenty six of the novel. Where we have Anne, Jack, and Eddie exploring the uh, the band lab building, we do have when they enter the building, you can see the doors have been opened before. I think that's more of a reference to the fact that Richard Levine had been in there recently. Mm-hmm. In the final novel, the fifth door they open leads to a large conference room, as you said, with the map on the wall. I really wish we could see that map. <laughs> I'm guessing it'd be just similar to what we see in the uh, the opening pages of the novel with the, uh, the yeah. map Crichton does, mm-hmm. but it would have roads and everything on sauna um in the early manuscript though the office uh, there's another office but that's uh, clean uh, the rear window is completely clean 
yeah, we don't get any more description of what's beyond the window except for uh, the early suggestion that there's light trying to shine through the grimy window. So whether that window opens out into production floor or the outside, we don't know. But as you said, we get Ian looking closely at that map on the wall. It seems like he's about to say something really important about it when Eddie suggests the door hasn't been opened in a long time and that's why it's so clean inside. Um, something on the map's got Ian's attention and uh, when they leave he carefully closes the door behind him so there's something going on there that Ian sees that we don't know about I, we've talked about this before when we uh, mm-hmm. were talking about the novel the fact that up until this point Malcolm's all we're going to find out why through this next door will tell us why InGen just stopped but um, all of a sudden it cuts to this place has got power and Eddie uh, changing the subject really and getting mm-hmm. our focus onto something else. but um, And was... not to get too far off subject, but that has always kind of been my major complaint about the second novel was the first novel, Crichton wrapped everything up very nicely and neatly. But then the second novel comes in and there's just so many loose ties that he leaves open Then it's just, it's so not Crichton you know it's not Mm. it's not it's just not something Crichton naturally does in his writing is just leave these uh leave these open ends in his novels you know yeah at least not this many I mean he he does usually leave one or two loose strings but not nearly to this extent yeah I wonder if it's it's because he was asked to write this one and not it didn't really come naturally to him or Mm. um by his time I think uh, Congo, Sphere, some of his uh, other works would have been already adapted into film and probably hadn't done real well. And he might have been a bit uh, uh, bit upset because a lot of them changed significantly from the books as well. So maybe he um, his heart just wasn't in it when he was writing it, mm-hmm. which is a shame. <laughs> well, probably not because it is, as far as I know, the only sequel he ever wrote. Yeah, true. Although, isn't there a... There uh, might just be movie... Westworld and... There's a sequel to Westworld Future World, isn't there? That might have been a uh, is B it? movie. I don't know. I don't... Was Future World his writing? I know that Westworld was a TV series he wrote, as with ER, and he did do a little screenwriting, but I didn't think that... Or maybe that was his. I don't know. It might have been just a, it's a sequel to the uh, the series. It's not an actual sequel to the novel. He might have wrote, wrote it. Um, True. Yeah, this might be where I'm getting confused. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in the in the novel, uh, these pins, coloured pins on the map, sort of suggesting that there's again that network on the island of uh, radio network, video network, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. And as for the room being clean, well, even with uh, the door closed. <laughs> We can see throughout the lab that uh, the animals have got in there everywhere. <laughs> There's also a couple of emails found in the lab with Wu on the sender line as well. Um, but that's that's about it for in the lab. Next we travel to near the end of the novel with the uh, chapter uh, Village and page one, uh, 317, 318 as Jack Fawn's out in the worker village searching for gas for the Jeep Wrangler. They'd used to narrowly escape the raptors after checking the pumps of the gas station. He moves along the wet path to uh, a small shed covered in vines and this is where we get the uh, the famous Carnotaurus scene in that uh, in the novel but uh, he sees a dozen steel drums uh, all standing on their ends and then he notices a bare space where three drums had been 
Um, mm. and, and this was in the novel where he sees... Oh, I thought it was in the novel, but uh, I couldn't find it again. He notices that um, they were rolled and on their sides and footprints in the wet dirt. And then later in the chapter, we get a monologue from Fawn questioning who else was on the island. It couldn't be Dodson's team. They were too far away from their boat, and the boat wouldn't run on diesel either. But there is there is something in the novel that's still there about um, footprints in the mud. I swear it is. <laughs> I'll have to check through my my edition. Yeah. But it's also good too here with that monologue, sort of the origin or the origin of where we get um, Roland in the film, pretty much saying we're not alone on this island. Mm-hmm. Also, the interesting thing here is is that the barrels do have some full gasoline in it whereas in the final novel none of the bar all the barrels are empty so even if there and even if there had would have been uh barrels on the island that were full they probably would have the gasoline probably would have turned to lacquer by by then and so they would have been useless for them mm. you know and yeah unless unless he still did have some supplies coming to the island but i don't think he did and, but it seems here that Wu is somehow getting supplies to the island, yeah. Yeah. But it's also weird, too, as we get to um, his chapter later on where he's talking with uh, the crew. He's sitting there saying that I helped you helped you get here, helped Arby with the radio, logging onto the radio network, which we don't really see anything in the manuscript or the, uh, or the novel with how that was, unless he just kept on offering him the password or something to, to log on. But I don't know what stealing free drums of... <laughs> Uh, gas would do here well the thing is is that with um our, when arby is trying to get into the network there seems to be prompts and arby does actually kind of notice how ridiculously easy it was to actually <laughs> get into the island uh the island system and he thinks it's we i do remember he thinks it's weird how easily a a supposedly sophisticated network like InGens would be to get, just be able to kind of uh, 13-year-old the heck into it, you know? Well, yeah, even just the fact that he, he tries a password or several passwords and after the third one it doesn't lock the system out. He, he mm-hmm. says, um, like he says when he's at his father's office or something, if, it, if he tried more than three times it'd lock the computer or lock the system out. Well, it's not only that, but I think it, the system actually asks, are you specifically looking for something or do you need help and stuff like that? And it's just, there's no system, computer <laughs> system in the world professionally that I know of that would do that for you. <laughs> it would not make it that easy to access it. Mm. And I mean, it's just, the more I consider Woo, the more ideas I think of that explains so much more of the novel. You know? Yeah, yep. But we do get here in a minute too that he's near death, so I don't know how. Or he's very old, so I don't know how he's out there manually handling gas drums anyway. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, going on to image six in the uh, chapter escape on page three fifty, the survivors enter the tunnel network under the worker village to escape the raptors in the gas station. Something else I would have loved to see in the uh, in the film too, just some sort of underground tunnel network under that visitor cell under the worker village, but. Um, Alas, so much good stuff from the novel not seen in the film. <laughs> um, in this chapter, they move down the short tunnel and emerge through a trapdoor in a small utility shed, but uh, the manuscript tells a far different story. With the sounds of the raptors can be heard behind them as they, too, enter the tunnels, 
But just as Kelly is about to head to the laboratory, a uh, voice calls out, no, this way. We don't actually get in the novel any confirmation that the raptors have followed them into the tunnels at all, but in the manuscript they have, which would have made... I thought we did. I thought, they, I thought Kelly could hear them behind, behind them sounding like they're trying to figure out how to get into the tunnel. Well, there's a there's a paragraph just of um, shelving collapsing, uh, walls splintering and um, bursting in as the raptors enter the room, but find no one there, um, mm. or something along those lines, and then it cuts to them in the tunnels. Um, which is weird, because that way, if the raptors were in the tunnels when Sarah arrives in the Explorer and drives past the gas station, they don't all start <laughs> running out uh, running out, <laughs> and chasing her. Uh, obviously, they're all underground, but... Um, and then we move on to image seven where we have the new chapter which was completely removed from the novel titled Caretaker uh, that's where we meet a man that Ian and Arby know uh, Elliot Wu Arby says on the uh, computer files in Levine's apartment Elliot Wu was uh, head of site B and here he's uh, dressed in a white robe or gown uh, very old very old Chinese man here a lot of dialogue we get in this scene or these scenes are uh what we end up getting in the uh, in the novel as um, Ian and that are talking about the Pyron disease in the boat mm-hmm. leaving the island uh, and the deceased animals and the fact that uh, these animals over after a few years probably won't exist anymore. They're dying. They're, they're diseased. Which is so strange. He would give these these lines to Ian Malcolm because Ian Malcolm is a mathematician in the novels, you know. Mm. And even as if he was like specializing in chaos theory, like he is in the movies, as a self-proclaimed chaotician, it's he wouldn't have that depth of knowledge of. As far as I would assume that most mathematicians would not have this depth of knowledge of microbiology, you know. Well, even then, as the last chapter ends, when they come up. Uh, the tunnel into the bottom of the um, the manager's house here and where he's held up we get the study here beautiful clean orderly there's a picture of a young Chinese man on the wall presumably either a younger Elliot or L.L. Henry he says come in allow me to introduce myself and Malcolm's like that's not necessary I know who you are so even if Malcolm knows who he is and obviously he must have been putting things together on the island and that's why he he was going to come to the conclusion why Ingen stopped working or or mm-hmm. whatever that string was that story was going to go to Elliot wouldn't know any of these people so I don't yeah well we do know that the that the um, site B did run for a few short months a little longer than the first Jurassic Park did as Ingen was thrown into chapter 11 chaos and they're kind of just trying to salvage whatever they could be before they sold it off so it's possible that Wu could have been informed of the death of his brother and that uh, that a visit to the island went horribly wrong and all he would have maybe even gotten some of the details and names. But the, I think it's weird that Malcolm knew who Wu was. Just hmm. because, I mean, he must have had to find him out in some re- background research into Biosyn or something because I don't know of any other way they would have found out about him. You know? Yeah, well, again here in this chapter in Caretaker, it's sort of they bring up again the um, the computer files that Arby was looking at, and Malcolm saying this is the man who's responsible for this place, isn't that right, Elliot? Like, 
coming out and calling him by his first name where all the computer files would have had E Woo on them. Well, yeah, when um when Malcolm says Elliot, uh, Levine sort of responds, the man who did all the original genetic work at InGen was named Wu, but uh, they said he's dead. And that's when Elliot says, uh, my brother, he worked, we worked together. Henry died five years ago in an unfortunate accident. So obviously that's alluring to the uh, accident at the park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, just knowing, like, Levine and Sarah Harding would have, as... Uh, parts of biology background would have known what these um, about microbiology to an extent, you know? Yeah. It makes no sense that Ian Malcolm would know about that in the final novel. Yeah. yeah. And it's sort of weird too because they just go start going into the whole the whole thing about the contamination, what happened, how the, uh, the original DX, DX virus started. Also... I think there's been a, there's a bit of confusion in the fandom. Uh, the virus isn't called. It's not a. Di- How do I put this? The Pyron disease they called X. They just called the disease X, disease X or DX for short. It's not the actual name of what it was. It's not COVID. It's 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 virus. It's disease C. Um, mm-hmm. Where I think a lot of people just call it the DX virus thinking DX is in the actual name, the mm-hmm. name of it. But... Which is interesting because, uh, as Wu explains, the prion-based disease, they just, since they didn't know what it was, just that it was prion-based, they called it D- disease X or shortened to DX, you mm. know? Yep. yep. So that actually gives some background on DX, the prion disease that, was so uh, important to the novel and even appeared into the marketing uh, for the movie, you know? Because, yeah, in in reality, that's that's the main reason we get in the novel why InGen shut production. It wasn't because of a hurricane that we get in the film. It's because this mm-hmm. virus uh, spread like a plague through the lab and they couldn't control it, so they just shut down production. Um, Jurassic Park <laughs> stopping or being... Uh, Abandoned too wouldn't have been a big a big help because that's what ends up uh, putting engine into chapter eleven. But that's just check out the images. There's a lot of good stuff here. He just sort of describing uh, all the carnivores got it because of that uh, that ground up sheep extract that we mm-hmm. get sort of name dropped. Um, Sarah and Ian are talking about that in the uh, in the boat, um, and Sarah sort of saying that you'd never use sheep because of contamination contamination in it and then of course because uh well interestingly he says here too about three years ago he pretty much had the virus done um he was able to work on the animals and be able to cure them of the virus and then all of a sudden the behavior of the compies changed they started uh eating the uh the animals or the larger animals feces and then there must have been one animal one or a couple animals that still had was still carrying the disease and then of course, Compy's eating it, then going over, being all over carcasses, all the carnivores got it. Then the carnivores attacking healthy herbivores. Whether they killed them or just wounded them, then all of a sudden the herbivores have got it, and now all of a sudden the whole mm-hmm. population of animals are diseased again. Yeah. And then therein lies one of Crichton's falls from the novel again. He, For some reason, the Compy's just changed their behavior. In the first novel, we had a pretty much an explanation for every single behavior that the dinosaurs portrayed, even their 
supposed lack of sight was explained at the time as frog DNA. Mm. And so the fact that the compies just randomly decide to start eating fecal or eating feces, it's strange that it would be like, oh, well, they just decided to do that. It's not really built up. It's not really what I would consider to be Crichton-esque writing. You know, it doesn't really have this built-up, layered meaning to it. Hmm. Yeah, and we also get um, one weird thing here too. With um, in the novel, it's sort of with Le- Le- Levine complaining about being bitten by the compy and him thinking he's infected, and I think Malcolm that just sort of laugh it off or wave it off that you're fine. But here in the uh, in this chapter two, Elliot sort of goes into the fact that there can be humans can catch it if bitten or eat uh, eat diseased flesh, and it sort of gives a gives a, a severe a severe case of encephalitis. Mm-hmm. And apparently people on the mainland were getting it because they were eating the carcasses that washed up mm-hmm. onto the beach, which is something that was not mentioned earlier in the novel either, where we have the apparent forms, the fact that locals were eating <laughs> these these big animals. Or the compies biting the babies, even. Oh, yeah. yeah you know? Which, is again, brings back to the fact that Crichton always has these layered kind of writing where the one detail either leads into the next or is inspired by the previous. And it's just like, for example, the compies speeding the spread would makes perfect sense because they bite things. They don't always bite successfully. Even if they eat carrion, they infect that meat, which then infects the other animals that eat that meat. And so that kind of chain effect writing is something that Crichton was always very good at. It was something I always admired about him, but having just, oh, oh well, they suddenly decided to change the behavior. Oh, well. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't seem like Crichton to me. Yeah. I can kind of see why he was was hesitant to write the second novel. I wonder if this whole thing about people catching it too might have been a, um, a little way for him to go into a third. Although, when he's writing this, I don't think he'd even be contemplating a third novel. Mm. No, yeah, he definitely did. Well, he also the D, the introduction of DX in the first place was Crichton's way of ending it permanently. He makes it so that even if the even though there's this island of dinosaurs, the island's not going to be be there in a couple of years full of dinosaurs because the dinosaurs are going to die of DX. In the first book, he writes it so that the island is firebombed. In the second book, he writes it so that the island slowly dies off of disease. Mm. And that is mentioned in the in the, in the novel, uh, in that boat ride leaving the island. Uh, Richard Levine has all the uh, video equipment set up in the hide, thinking he's going to be able to study these animals for years to come. And Malcolm's pretty much shoots it down, going, "Nut! These these animals are uh, on their last legs. Mm-hmm. This isn't the perfect lost world that you thought it was. It's um, I don't think he says fake, but it's um, there's a lot of other stuff going on here. It's, it's far from perfect." And the fact that yeah, the animals are on borrowed time, which he sort of doubles down here with not only the animals on double time, but um, there's a lot of talk here about as soon as the uh, government realizes this island's here as well, they're going to firebomb the shit out of it as well, <laughs> much like they did to uh, to Nublar. Yeah, whatever comes first, and they sort of they sort of explain to Elliot that he needs to leave with them uh, because he'll get bombed with his animals, and he's too old. He's been here all his life, and he doesn't know anything else. He's been a caretaker on the island for so long. 
And that's when he sort of starts coughing and telling him that uh, the tide, you want to hurry, get to the boat, otherwise you cannot get out through the caves. You should go now. And they, uh, they leave him behind after he um, points a thin, wavering finger, telling him to go. And that's when we cut to Sarah driving the Explorer along the edge of the river, uh, much as we get in the, uh, in the original novel. Funnily enough, even in the manuscript, there's no mention of their encounter they just had with uh, with Elliot. It's more so mm-hmm. uh, Sarah asks and Kelly about the uh, the graphics on the computer, and that's how she discovered the tunnels under the gas station so they could escape the general store, which is interesting. Then uh, uh, last two images, image eleven and twelve in the chapter departure, obviously cut well down because most of the discussion we have in these chapters were with Elliot um, in the previous previous chapter but instead we get Malcolm saying the uh, island should be bombed and Fawn talking to Kelly about humans needing theories and fantasies to live <laughs> but at the same time I mean I don't know the status of electron microscopes in 1995 but I do know for a fact that you can see an, you can see an electron <laughs> <laughs> you can see photons if you if you get a powerful enough electron microscope they are measurably existable things is not quite so much the self-esteem they as that's a concept but i would not have chosen a photon or electron something that you can actually see with a powerful enough instrument <laughs> yeah <laughs> have you ever seen self-esteem <laughs> can you bring me one on a plate how about a photon i will admit as a as a child i thought a self-esteem was a type of steam locomotive <laughs> I mean, like, like very young child, but yeah. It's a um, it's like a 1902 steam-powered Segway. It's a self <laughs> solo solo mode of transport. I suppose that'd be a steam bicycle too that they did have back in the day. <laughs> Sorry, I would I would ask people, what's an a steam? <laughs> <laughs> And it's sort of, it's weird coming from Fawn too, being, having a PhD in structural engineering and that, I'm sure, I'm sure there's stuff, uh, there's a lot of discussion about having carbon fibre in the RVs and that when he's back building them and that, and I'm sure you can't see, if you hand him a piece of carbon fibre and a piece of steel, he's not going to be able to see the difference in strength between one and the other. He knows one's stronger because of the compounds gone into creating it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, that's that's pretty much uh, all of uh, Elliot Wu's um, shenanigans in the novel. It did make me wonder if he was on InGen's books being there, uh, but since they went bankrupt, they might not have been able to get to the island and retrieve him. Uh, I'm sure that 200000 that uh, Bison paid him would have went a long way to maybe getting some new microscopes or something or or doing all that sort of stuff. On the island, as you said earlier, there was the, the vegetarian books and that, so he's, he's eating a vegetarian diet that he must be growing plants or something at his uh, estate. Looking looking back over it all, um, in the end, I don't really know if the character needed to be added into the novel. Um, the removal is probably a good thing, more so just because it sort of raises more, more of those questions than answers, uh, although it does answer some things like the... Uh, like the DX virus and all that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. or the disease. I think the problem 
with its removal is like the problem with many of the removals of the deleted scenes in the movie is that they're not complete removals. There's still hints of his existence, which creates questions that don't have answers. And I don't like it. Yeah. I don't like that. So either, either like fully a hundred percent remove any trace of him, scrub the entire trace of him from the manuscript or keep him in there, you know? Yep. yep. Yeah, because it does make you wonder how's he, how's he getting out there, getting blood samples, all that sort of thing, studying the animals, working in the lab, without any real, real danger. It sort of takes away from the danger the group face throughout the novel as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of have a guardian angel looking out for him the entire time. Hmm. Yeah, especially now he's sort of getting so old as well. When they, um, when they all go into his office, he's sitting there. And then they pretty much described they couldn't mm-hmm. you couldn't tell how old he actually was, which again might be just a letdown on Crichton's side. I don't think that he's old. I think he's malnourished because the way that they describe him isn't so much as old, but as frail as like he's not really getting the nutrients he should be getting. You know. Well, that's yeah, that's a good point. If he's the brother, he's the brother of Wu, not father. Yeah. Um, well, also the fact that Wu was like around college aged in the no- in the first novel. Yeah. And I imagine that this man is his older brother, but I couldn't imagine him being that much older. Maybe in his thirties or at most young forties. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I um, yeah, expected it to be old, but well, here we go here. I forgot to, uh, Ed Regis introduced Henry Wu, a slender man in his 30s. So he's in his 30s in mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. This is four year, or five years later, according to him saying his brother died five years ago. So he could possibly still be in his 30s if that's the same age. Maybe go maybe go five, five to six years either side of that. He could be either early 40 or late 20s, depending. Because yeah. he doesn't say if he's a younger brother or older brother. Just brother. That's from uh, that's from the Jurassic Park novel. Um, I think we've uh, done a good deep dive into that. Anything else on Elliot Wu and his inclusion or lack of inclusion in the novel? No, I think that's. I think we covered that pretty well. It is. Um, it is one little aspect. I would have loved if it had been adapted into the into the into the film if. Uh, Hammond said, I've got a guy already there um, that's been feeding me all the information about the animals thriving and all that sort of stuff. Again, it just <laughs> adds more to that damn film that I want to see. <laughs> um, well, the thing is is that Spielberg and, Cri- and Crichton really corabor- or collaborated with kind of writing this novel, or writing the sequel, so there are things that are purposely the same and things that are purposely different between um, the Lost World, the novel, and the Lost World, the movie. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if, uh, looking into the future with Dominion, we do know that Colin sort of has been pulling some ideas from the novels uh, mm-hmm. and then changing them a little bit just so they're not <laughs> clear grabs. There's always been the uh, the discussion, especially in the Arf Animals, out on the loose uh, and possibly DX being involved um, I know 
or more so fan theories of that's how we get our Planet of the Apes of the Dinosaurs movie <laughs> by DX <laughs> taking out the humans and the dinosaurs taking over. It's just funny because, I mean, Planet of, the Planet of the Apes mo- trilogy is in a way very analogous to the Jurassic Park trilogy, or at least in the way it should have been, with the first movie being mainly about the creation and it being kind of light and then everything crashing down on everybody. Mm. And then the second movie set in the Redwoods being dark and ominous and everything set in these ruins in the middle of the Redwoods and humans struggling to survive among them. And then there's the third movie, which (laughs) Jurassic Park went one way and Planet of the Apes goes another, where Planet of the Apes is almost kind of makes you question if the um, Jurassic Park 3 could have gone with a um, DX sort of virus if the third Planet of the Apes movie would have been more analogous to the third Jurassic Park movie. Which makes me interested now in Dominion because I'm quite quite certain that Jurassic or that uh, Trevorrow and Universal have no interest in repeating the mistakes of the past with uh, Jurassic World Dominion. So I'm very, very curious where they're going to go with this, how well it's going to be made, everything like that, you know? Yeah. I was talking with someone online the other day and just speculating about what we might see in Dominion. and Just the way that the films are jumping, uh, that time span between them. I could nearly see, we, we've had the uh, the animals out and loose in Battle of Big Rock and sort of that ending credits scene mm-hmm. for that. I, I, I could clearly see that Dominion picking up uh, again four or five years later, and they've they've captured everything. Maybe maybe there's still some copies because there were greater numbers of them that were released um, compared to one one Apatosaur and one Tyrannosaur <laughs> that clearly aren't going to uh, multiply out in the wild. But I can see most animals are probably going to be contained when the film starts. And we go the next step after that. Anyway, it's still filming. <laughs> we'll get to see what happens next year with, mm-hmm. with Dominion. And that's the other thing. I mean, I know that coronavirus did put that uh, very, very large gap in between the filming schedule. But at the same time, I f- just feel like the filming schedule, even since it's been back on track, has been longer than it was for Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, well, you can imagine, I'm, I'd, I'd guess anyway, that um, shots are taking a lot longer to set up when you've got everyone masked up and all that mm. sort of stuff, so. I remember uh, when there was Fallen Kingdom, came, uh, or when they announced that the ending of principal photography for Fallen Kingdom, I was like, wait, that, there, was, there was like three weeks, are you telling me it's done already? <laughs> <laughs> and with this, it feels like it's been going on almost three months now. Yeah. It'd be interesting to just see how many days were spent shooting at the end of it all mm-hmm. and compare with the, the previous two films. Mm-hmm. Well, thankfully, the break for the quarantine break did allow Trevorrow to start working on, and I think they actually finished all of the um, shots, that everything they had already shot, which was actually kind of rather uh, VFX heavy, which was kind of worked out well for them because... And they ended up not having to rush. They were able to have this nice break where they're 
not having to rush the final CGI, you know? Mm. Yeah, getting a lot of that work done done mm-hmm. early. Exactly. So now this that further extends their principal photography or their uh, post-production period, which allows them to kind of be more relaxed creating the CGI. They won't have to feel rushed. It won't look they hopefully it won't look bad. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. Um, I'd assume ILM would be working on it this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see what happens anyway. This is all news discussion, <laughs> not uh, <laughs> not uh, Elliot Wu or Crichton. Yeah, so uh, that's been uh, this episode, episode nine of Jurassic Mysteries, uh, featuring the curious case of Elliot Wu. Mm-hmm. Good little look back into that. It's it is good to see some of this stuff, or just some new new stuff uh, stranding our favourite franchise. But if that's everything, Dave, we'll get heavy for the week and uh, be back next week with some more minutes. All right, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs>